1: And welcome to the Smackdown Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Could You? Joined by one of the Daddly Boys. We've had a Daddly Boys exchange today. It's going to be Michael Hanfler reviewing everything that went down on Friday night, Smackdown. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture dressing on either iTunes, Spotify, where you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we review not just SmackDown but also raw nxt2. Oh aw dynamite aw rampage pay-per-views. We have interviews, round table discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Michael Hamflet. A busy day for the two of us reviewing not just SmackDown, but Rampage and Dynamite and looking ahead to Monday Night Raw a little bit later on today. Michael sudrick rather busy on his project let's just say but Hamlet. i feel like this was a show of two halves let's just say
2: yeah there's a lot i want to talk about on this review uh but we do them chronologically so not yet (laughs) Like i I almost want to do our five-star review skip to the last segment so we can (laughs) we can get to the point um because i like it cannot this show for all i think there will be a few positive things we'll get to speak about in a couple of hot segments couple of things that still um, present the version of SmackDown that a lot of people consider to be a high-end wrestling TV show. There are those peppered throughout this, but this is defined, and I'm not just talking about this week, this review, years where we'll be talking about this, this episode was defined by that closing segment, and I like will not even tee it up, because people know what we're referring to if they're listening to this. You know, we're recording this a couple of days after Smackdown happened. You'd think that whatever occurred over the weekend, you'd feel like you'd have a bit of breathing room. Like all the hot takes have come and gone. And we have almost like what's become a bit of a benefit of being able to review the show on a Monday when a lot of the dust has settled. None of the dust has settled on this thing. (laughs) And I I cannot wait to get to it.
1: Well, let's start with the opening of the show, because I thought that was absolutely brilliant. We had a recap, of course, of what went down in the main event. Of Crown Jewel, Roman Reigns using a ref bump effectively to retain his Universal Championship. He comes out flanked just by Paul Heyman, holding that title. Uh, He gets a huge reaction, as he always does. Uh, And as he walks to the ring, Cole and Pat McAfee talk about Lesnar saying he was going to show up and beat Reigns senseless. So they get into the ring, Reigns holds out his hand, and as he always does, Heyman puts the mic into it. And uh, Rain says, oh, let's see if you can pull that one off then. You're holding that title. Are you are you holding that for me or are you holding that for, for Brock? Because you just holding me the mic there when I put my hand out. But mm. last night when I put my hand out, you didn't pass me the belt. You just sort of threw it in the middle of us, implying like a little bitch, basically. <laughs> he said, Paul, you're not very good at your job, but... I am. I'm great at my job. He called himself the greatest universal champion of all time, which he is. And I just love the swagger in his voice saying that I've beaten so many people with this title. We haven't even got time to start from the beginning, but he ran through edge smashed him. Daniel Bryan smashed him. Cena smashed him. Lesnar smashed him. And then he got uh, uh Heyman to read out, Lesnar's tweet and said, He's tweeting now. I must have kicked his ass so bad he's finally decided to get on the Twitter sphere effectively. Uh, and he says, I'm not scared. Let's start, you know, he wants to say all these big words. Come on, then let's have a fight right now. Come out and face me. And then he claimed that Lesnar was the scared one. He said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm the universal champion. I do what I want. And I will wait here all night if I have to to fight. Brock Lesnar, they go to commercial, when they come back, Reigns is still still in there talking, talking about Lesnar being a no-show, despite these big, you know, he can talk the talk, but he can't walk the walk, as a we want Lesnar chant, and you know, Reigns has finally decided he's waited long enough, thanks everyone, I've come, I've fulfilled my contractual obligations, I'm off, boom, Lesnar's music hit, the roof comes off the goddamn place, Brock Lesnar storms down to the ring. Reigns tries to belt shot him, but he ducks underneath. Lesnar just starts battering him, sends him to the outside, uh, hoys him into the steps. There's a a wonderful meeting of the minds, a a look across a crowded room uh, between Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. Uh, He hits Reigns with the steps. He clears the announce table, picks him up. He's going to F5 him, but the Usos have run out and uh, save Reigns from that horrific future of his instead uh it's the usos who get the crap kicked out of him by brock lesnar reigns recovers but then he gets sent into the ring post and then a cameraman who's standing suspiciously close to brock lesnar uh gets the camera grabbed off him he tries to take Reigns' head off with it but it smashes into the uh, ring post as reigns ducks out of the way Reigns is high it, tail between his legs, sort of thing. And uh, Lesnar's snapped. He's attacking officials. He's attacking referees. Postman Pierce sends out off the Goober locker room to try and stop them. And the likes of Garza and Carrillo get laid out. Uh, but the rest of them thankfully manage to calm him down, or he just decides to stop murdering people. And uh, Lesnar stands in the ring with the Universal Championship as Reigns scuttles away with the Usos and the Paul ha- and Paul Heyman in tow. Before we talk about the fallout from this, which immediately came afterwards, perfect, I thought this.
2: Really good, really, really good, really hot. Um, Crowd went absolutely ballistic for all of it, which tells us that um, WWE was super effective in driving viewers to Crown Jewel. The narrative has changed as as of this Saudi show. um, The narrative has changed from this odd novelty thing that happens in another part of the world to being something that is very canon. This felt like a Monday following a Sunday, didn't it? Yes. It didn't feel like they were kind of having to chase the tails after Undertaker Goldberg or DX Brothers of Destruction. Fans were hugely invested in this angle still. Um, I have to credit WWE because then they rarely get the details wrong here. Um, we all know what's happening with the Heyman stuff and it's really fun to watch it play out, the teasers of where he stands. Um, but they've been pretty spot on at the points at which they've... Ensure show that Roman Reigns doesn't look a fool as well. Mm. So all this stuff, all this thing about handing over um, the microphone and the belt and things like that, just really smart of them to put it in there because it's a thought that they don't apply to the majority of the other storylines in truth. How it is that you don't make your characters feel like idiots. If the whole watching world can see what might be going on with Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns can't, he's basically Hulk Hogan seeing Ultimate Warrior's ghost in a mirror, isn't he? <laughs> like, He's the he's the thick one or or Eric Bischoff next to him that can't see it. Roman Reigns has got to be as like not quite as wise to it as everybody else, but just about as wise to it. He's got to have his suspicions at very least. Mm. And I thought they played with that brilliantly. Um, The Lesnar Reigns heat was there. It, It remains to be seen if it can be sustained up until WrestleMania, which is potentially what they want as a one of the the main events of WrestleMania. I I, I don't feel it a seat at the moment, but this was evidence that maybe they can reheat it early next year um, with, you know, what we're about to get to. But yeah, a really strong hot start to a program that by all rights shouldn't still have this much juice in the fruit. So Mm -hmm. genuinely quite impressive. And you you started this podcast by noting this was a show of two hearts. We're going to get to a bit more of it in a second. This is not the first time that they've donated a lot of time to the Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman stuff, and it's carried it well. Yeah, um, I can think of at least one of the SmackDown recently where, like, a large portion of the start of the show was given to this. They know it must draw. They know it must be going down well with audiences, and they know the performers must have the ability to pull it all off as well. Because nothing else gets this much time and doesn't feel like like doesn't feel. Imagine if they gave something like this. Like all this time on Raw and how labored one of those Raw storylines would feel. And it, and it doesn't. It really
1: doesn't. Look, I was front and center complaining when uh, they did uh, Roman Brock at 34, wasn't it? I think WrestleMania mm-hmm. is 34. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you'd have said to me in the immediate aftermath, do you think they should ever revisit this? And I said, absolutely not. But this is the hottest feud in all of pro wrestling today. You know, I'm very excited to see the story play out with Hangman Page and Kenny Omega and stuff. I'm sorry, this blows it out of the water in terms of a big fight feel. This is, you know, uh, they used it to use their uh, topical references thing. They used Fury Wilder a lot, but it's comparable, in my opinion. It is the, the, the biggest thing going on right now. And despite the fact that they were in Crown Jewel and those two got in the ring, you thought, this is big time here. And yeah, like you say, it may well head to WrestleMania. And as a part of that, we should talk about what came next. After the break, Postman Pierce is in the ring, looking very grumpy indeed. He's furious about Lesnar causing property damage and attacking referees and putting the WWE universe in danger. Uh, And he indefinitely suspended Lesnar for endangering superstars and officials and everything I've just mentioned. (laughs) Lesnar walks out, and I don't know why, but this beating up authority figures, obviously, is a well-worn trope. And yet, a baby face Brock Lesnar doing that, you know, <laughs> not just a mercenary for hire, a previously winking, happy, smiling baby face going, You've, you know what, Pierce? He comes down, he's cupping his ear. Sorry, did I just, I'm not sure if I can't just call that right. He comes down, there's a suplex city chant, he grabs Pierce by the neck, do key in the corner. <laughs> And, and he does that. It I don't going. know why. It's so obvious, and everyone does it, but it works so much better with Brock, where grabs him by the throat. Oh, what, are you, what are you saying? What are you saying? I've got him. he says, I'm gonna suspect you in a funny voice, which I popped me again. And he does that thing where he goes, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he brushes Pierce down, maybe even straightens his tie. And then obviously snatches him immediately up, F fives him. And I think that was where it was meant to end, but hey. This Brock Lesnar g- gives the people what they want He's his music's <laughs> playing. And he goes, nope, up you go for a second time. Uh, and second F5 to Postman Pierce. He grabs the mic and says, well, was like you said, and Postman Pierce is just out. So he just goes, and Brock throws the mic at him and storms out. Like you say, this is a way to stretch it out to, who knows, Survivor Series, The Rumble, maybe even WrestleMania. It's something they've done time and time again. And it's something I'm kind of OK with because it still feels so white hot that you don't want to see more of WWE doing it because more often than they not, they ruin it in that case.
2: Well, you sort of hit upon this, giving the people what they want. It feels so rare that WWE give the people what they want. And this segment was evidence that the people wanted as much Brock Lesnar as they could get. And they wanted him doing things like this, wanton destruction. And. Um, <laughs> like that you got through that you of all people I've known you a lot of years now Wilbon. I know full well at the moment uh, Adam pace's trousers ripped you consider this a home homeroom segment of the year <laughs> because like, I'm assuming that wasn't gimmicked but you better believe it will be from now on everyone that's getting an F5 in trousers is getting those things gimmicked beforehand pre-stitched to just come away <laughs> deliciously because he's uh, that's certainly how you could see the dookie down the back um Yeah, a really effective ending to, um, like, a fairly worn and tired trope. You know, a guy got suspended for causing chaos. This has happened to Brock. He did it, he was, remember when he um, did it to Michael Cole and the guy? Yeah, Steph was shouting uh, at him, wasn't she? Yeah, like, this is not just tired. This is tired with the, the same key players. And yeah, yeah, it's hard. Look, I'll, you know, I'll say this on I certainly won't say it on this week's edition of this particular show, but I used to say this about Cody all the time. I can't sit here and be critical of something when a crowd are going absolutely wild for it, when the punters that paid paid a ticket to watch this were having the times of their lives, like through what throughout all of this went down hugely well. It'll leave a lasting memory. Now, if Brock's gone for for as we say, probably until one of those pay per views, if not later, they could probably pass like the, the obvious scenarios not winning the rumble, but they could easily just get past this and do a. It's official. You know, it's not beyond them to do that. But people will remember this now. Whatever Reigns does between now and Brock Lesnar appearing back on the scene, he's gonna be the ghost at the feast, isn't he? And like the Lesnar will it? hang over
1: it. How important. I know he's you know he's had moments of looking weak, but this is the first moment where he's you know he's grabbing the back of his neck and he's sc- scurrying away. It feels all that more effective that they've not done this a lot with with the Roman Reigns character.
2: Yeah, like actually running scared this week. He's gonna now have to. Put that off, brush that to one side and try and um, this is like a, I was going to use these sort of on steroids thing, but I don't like applying that to wrestling analogies. But this is like the souped up version of when, the, when a guy gets a you tapped out chant. Mm. It's going to linger on Roman now that like he was actually physically scared of somebody. So he's going to be feeding with whoever he's got up next. And they've got that kind of in their back pocket.
1: Uh, Right, we continue. We go backstage. Hi, Kayla! Kayla Braxton is there. She's trying to interview Sonya Deville, who's trying to get a handle on things. And Naomi shows up. And even I... I love Naomi. Even I thought, not now, love. (laughs) Pick your moments. Uh, She comes in, she demands a rematch, and Deville goes, typical of you, this isn't it, trying to make it all about you. Look, we had the match last week, and, yeah, it's not going to be happening tonight. I'm kind of busy. And for once, I thought... Yeah, yeah, the admin probably does take priority here because <laughs> this dude just coming in and wrecked your entire show. Anyway, Drew McIntyre pops up and he says, bloody carnage around here, isn't it? But it's great to be back on SmackDown. I'm going to head out there and see, see what the lay of the land is, see who fancies facing me. I'm going to uh, do an open challenge. And he goes out there and says, I don't care if you're a Viking or a bloody Maharaja or whatever, whoever fancies it. Come out and let's let's duke it out, sort of thing. And who should answer him? But uh, Sammy's ain of all people who's got a new theme. It doesn't change the fact that they only view him in one way. And I can't wait till Sammy's Zane can go do good stuff in AEW. If I'm perfectly honest, anyway. Uh, but Sammy is brilliant. He gives his all whatever he's given. He uh, cuts a promo, talks about being. Forgotten on SmackDown and said, Actually, I'm the longest tenured member of the SmackDown roster. I'm a bit of a locker room leader, and you may well be a former WWE champion, Drew. But you are you're just a newbie. And he dives into the ring, the bell rings, and he sort of baits McIntyre initially. He keeps ducking out of the ring whenever Drew gets close to him. Eventually, McIntyre catches up to him and throws him into the barricade to take us into the break. When we come back, Zane is in control, but McIntyre fights back sends him into the corner, belly-to-bellies him across the ring with a suplex, hits a neckbreaker, sets up for a claymore, but Zayn rolls out the ring and hangs McIntyre up on the top rope. Zayn goes with a blue thunderbomb. Yeah, McIntyre's like 285 pounds. That's not going to happen. McIntyre, Glasgow kisses him, but as he goes to take out Zayn, he uh, nails the ring post instead, the old magnetic ring post trick. Zayn sends him into another one, sets up across the ring for the halluva kick, does the Claymore countdown. And in a way, he was correct because he runs straight into a Claymore from Drew McIntyre. One, two, three. Yeah, just an enjoyable match. Uh, It's a shame, obviously, this is how they perceive Sami Zayn. I think he could easily be a sniveling, sneaky little title contender, for almost any championship, but it is what it is, and it's always kind of been like this. Nevertheless, Drew McIntyre immediately feels, yeah, refreshed on the blue brand.
2: He does feel refreshed. I agree with that. Um, I thought this was WWE's autopilot yet again, acting to its detriment. Mm-hmm. It's very. Um, we'll just briefly touch on Sammy's in, because he was excellent here, and um, this was a good match made better by Zane's histrionics, by things like the countdown to the Claymore at the end that, as you say, like proved to be accurate, even if it was at his expense. Um, and nothing will matter next week in terms of whatever Sami Zane gets up to next. This loss won't particularly register. He's tremendous in this role. He's Teflon at this point. It's yeah. a great space to be in in WB when you're Teflon to anything they throw at you. Um, he'll be positioned as an ultimate utility man and we'll get to have some fun with it. it. Is Drew McIntyre that I would maybe have a slight bit of concern for. Refreshed is a good choice of words because it was um, away from um, the dredgery. They're written by the same people and it's only really the ropes that are different colours fundamentally. But it did feel like he was spinning his wheels on Raw for quite a while Mm. and he's away from the dredgery of that. But I'm not sure this was a brilliant night for Drew, you know. Um, Just because he beat a guy, it's the old problem of, well, he's beat a guy that's kind of being presented as a clown. So you don't get, it doesn't get that much. It's not like if there were an imaginary ranking systems, he'd have rocketed up it as a result of a victory over Sami Zayn, because Sami Zayn's a rodeo clown in WWE terms, ultimately. Also, his whole thing here was, oh, like, I'm Drew McIntyre, I'm on SmackDown, I'm going to make a big impression. He said in that backstage bit that he wants to make a difference or whatever it was, yeah. you know, because he's, 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 he's the man now, you know. And the problem is, this has followed... Actual difference makers showing, not telling you, that they can make a difference. (laughs) Brock Lesnar, difference maker. Roman Reigns, difference maker. This storyline, you just called it the best in wrestling. Difference maker. Like, all of that has just happened, and now here comes Drew McIntyre almost playing that rather than being it. The generous take is perhaps that you put one thing next to another, as if to show that maybe that's what's next for Mm -hmm. Roman, or Drew very much wants to be near the business end of things on SmackDown. But I just thought he was doomed a little bit by uh, by the comparison slightly. If anything, he kind of, I, I felt a little bit like it relegated him more than positioned him where they imagined something like this would. If you place this on a really dull episode and it's like SmackDown needs Drew McIntyre, thank goodness we've got this brand new star, great. But it's like, now nah, we've just seen the hottest thing they've got going. And he, he sort of, I don't know, Angela's blade felt a little dulled to me as a result of, of where hmm. this was positioned.
1: No, I think that's fair. Although I did get a glimpse of the old Drew, the Drew we saw on that road to winning the Royal Rumble and becoming world champion. Just a glimpse, just as we went into the break when he sent Sami Zayn to the barricade and he turned around and said, oh, I'm going to enjoy this. And I thought that, that right there is what we need. More of that sort of thing. But yeah, I think it's fair what you said about Drew as well there. We continue with the coronation of King Xavier Woods. I'm, I'm, I'm for once, I was so glad WWE didn't WWE this and have an interruption. I just wanted something nice, yeah. nice palate cleanser for my uh, WWE experience. Kofi Kingston comes out. He gives the big introduction to his king, Xavier. Out he comes. He celebrates with the fans. He celebrates with a kid who's got a King Woods sign. Uh, and yeah, they thought they worked so well together. You know, it's just two mates celebrating the lifelong achievement of one another. Um, Kingston introduces the the cloak that will shield him from from everything that may come his way, the scepter, and of course the crown to finish things off. Um, there's a "You Deserve It" chant quite rightly for Woods. Uh, <laughs> And Kingston proclaims Woods as the king. Huge pappy. Thanks the fans. He promises, Woods, this is, that his reign will be fun, but fair. And Woods then demands to hear the king's gospel and Kingston gets out a scroll and basically just says, Hail, King Woods. Lovely, lovely this.
2: Yeah, no complaints from me. Um, we talked on the preview about them having to try and babyface this king gimmick, we know. I know like Nakamura was the last one to have it, but they didn't really do anything with it apart from just him looking really stylish. Mm. Um, Woods was obviously going to embrace what it was to be a king in WWE. And from what I got here was either that he's gonna, I don't know, defend this maybe like it's going to suddenly be a bit of a secondary title, it's a position he's going to take so seriously that he's going to offer it up sometimes, so that might add stakes to some mid card matches. But if they've got the interest in this character beyond one gag beyond one visual and you would like to think woods being the king would keep their interest fairly high people like the new day there's always creative investment i'd like to think this is actually something different for the new day to do for a while you know him and kofi not necessarily going for tag belts but working singles programs around woods trying to be a good man trying to wear this crown and cape and hold a scepter and not look like an arsehole. That's the task. That's the task that Xavier Woods has given himself. But it seems like one that he's bang game for. And him and Kofi Kingston sort of mixing it up in single stuff in the mid card instead of what you would have imagined, which would be racing straight back to get the tag belts. Look, I'll have a New Day Uso's Match whenever you want. Mm. But just creatively, there did come a point where that just wasn't particularly that satisfying anymore as a viewer. So this gave me hope that I mean, look, it's probably going to end up being Baron Corbin, isn't it? As a, as a first feud, uh-huh. as a heel, Woods is going to show him how, how to be the king, how to do it properly. But I just like the idea of Woods's real-life generosity of spirit being extended onto television. I mean, nice. Like, WWE needs to do so many more nice things than they do. This is not a nice show with many nice people, <laughs> and this segment felt like an opportunity to address that. No, exactly. Uh, we get a little vignette of Becky
1: Lynch teasing this championship exchange later. She says she's never given up a title before. Maybe she'll leave us Becky Two Belts tonight and we get a little video promoting the debut of Xia But with no thousand-year-old dragon lady, what's going on, Anne
2: flirt <laughs> I mean, how is she going to... Like, how do we know what her skill set is without knowing that she's been trained by somebody that's been around, what, four score and however many years it is? it is? <laughs> can we talk... Can we just bundle them together? I know there's a, a bit of a bigger one coming later on. Um, I'm not sure what I thought of the, the way that they kind of like, right, like Zilee, Ridge Holland, a few others, just all of these new people here um, rattled off one after another after another to do what felt to me a little bit like, you know, on um, The X Factor or Britain's Got Talent, where before, <laughs> yes. before they've gone into the audition, the camera sits with them and you get to play that guessing game of knowing whether or not these people are going to be a total clown or if the judges are going to have to do their um shocked faces (laughs) I didn't think um that this person could have this voice because I'm a classist is is what they're really saying but they're just uh, you you came in here Susan Boyle with your with your not looking like a singer and you can sing (laughs) I don't know what I made of all of it like my favorite one of these by the way this is a total diversion but you know like there was a bad bad period for like slow the music down serious story or you know like a family member passed away. And this family member always told me I could sing like loads of gravitas and stuff like that. There was one where this woman, and this is not funny. This is not funny. Right. But they, she didn't have a story, but obviously her audition was going to be good. And she was going to get along in the tournament, in the tournament, in the show. So then like, what you got, just tell us why you're sad. Right. And she was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I used to love singing. You know, I used to go around the clubs and uh, my, my mom and dad told me, yeah, you've got such a lovely voice. And, she was, and then one day, I saw. <laughs> you're going to think I'm building up to a bit here because of what we've been doing a lot lately. It's like, one day I just uh, walked down the road and uh, I saw a car on fire. <laughs> and, uh, and ever since then, I've not, not been able to sink. <laughs> I, don't I don't know what you're thinking. It wasn't her car! <laughs> Why was she bothered? But yeah, that was, they were like, you could see them like, almost taking tweezers to try and pull out. <laughs> her eyes. I saw a car on fire and I went home and I was just too shocked to sing and I've not been able to sing since and then she goes oh. out and does the I Dream and Dream or whatever, and the judges are like how have you got over this car that was on fire so yeah rich Bloody Holland <laughs> do you love anime gaming, movies and discovering how your favourite pop culture affects everything you do
1: absolutely incredible.
0: Or anime. And under this mask is another mask.
1: (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago... wrestling rocketmoney.com slash wrestling (laughs) well before we continue with that we should talk about uh, Mustafa Ali versus Mansour a crown jewel rematch that we got uh brief match this um yeah Mustafa Ali tries to jump in quite early on but Mansour fights through it backdrops Ali out of the ring flying crossbody uh Ali though fights back Pulls Mansoor into the middle rope, hits a sit out powerbomb. He gets a near fall. Uh, Mansour suplexes Ali right onto his neck, clothesline. Uh, and uh, as Ali comes off the second turn buckle with a sunset flip, Mansour reverses and outsmarts his mentor, basically, here. Yeah, with, with these both drafted. Yes, I assume so. I, I as I was watching this, I was thinking: were these both drafted, or were they drafted as a pair and then they split and they just went, "Oh well, you got drafted." I genuinely have no idea or care. So yeah, I suppose.
2: Right, just if I'm Mansoor, I'm changing all my passwords because Miss is back on SmackDown, and you're getting hacked ah, for this one. Uh, I like fairly nothing. This felt a little bit sorry for both of them because they were one of the few. That, like, if you were going to extract any positivity from Crown Jewel, it was going to be these two having, like, another decent match, man, so get another big night. But I, there's not really to this. Like, like super energetic. They work hard at it. They're great, but not a lot to it. No, exactly.
1: Uh, this is where we got those ones. And hmm. it, was, it was it was the personification of a joke that me and Hamlet have been telling for quite some time, which is, what's your thing? <laughs> what's your thing, man? Ridge Bloody Holland's there. He says, well, if you told me about this when I was scrapping on streets of Yorkshire... <laughs> I'd have believed you because I'm, a, I'm a, an ass kisser, me. Ass kisser, ass
2: kicker, even. I love you. you know, a Yorkshire thing, right? This is a Yorkshire thing. So I grew up in Scarborough on the Yorkshire coast. And um, Sorry. you get these like, gruff, ridge, Bl- ridge bloody Holland men. Say what they like and they like what they bloody well say. But when I worked in pubs when I was younger, I, I don't know why this was a thing. Male or female, you ridge Hollands. Would come up, they'd like they used to drink a pint. It was something called golden. Half a pint of bitter, half a pint of. I remember, lard. yeah. What would uh? What would the Americans? What would be bitter for Americans? Just be ale. <laughs> half, half an IPA. Some of the some of that that schmuck Matt Reigns post on Twitter on a Friday. <laughs> and half a. And I love when they say, "Oh, I've got it for you." If you're a Friends fan, half a. I believe they call it lager. and half a Bodingtons. Right? <laughs> Half and half, they say. Uh, come up to you. like as wide as he was tall, built like a brick. Look at me. I'm, oh, there. Uh, can I have a pint of golden love? I'm like, uh, yes, darling. <laughs> like Called you love when they were ordering a pint of golden, and I, I was too frightened to say anything back. I was like, are we are we on those terms? I got told off
1: once for saying that. I said I ordered it. I think it was when I was maybe first moved up here. We were in a sandwich shop. Uh, you know, going for lunch with the what culture lot, and I was like, "I love, yeah." Can I just have a such and such sandwich? And they were like, "Oh, you can't say love." I was like, "Why not?" I was, I, I just, okay. It's just something I grew up with, like you say. It's 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 a, it, it's either it's either duck or love where I'm from.
2: Yeah, it was love quite a lot when I was younger, but I don't know. Maybe that's a bit too intimate now. She didn't seem bothered, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> My
1: also, my favourite my favorite Yorkshire thing ever, because I love... I don't love Yorkshire per se, because I'm a Derbyshire lad, me. But they're, they're right next to each other, and they blend, you know, Chesterfield, Sheffield, right? Gonna get, you're going to get some
2: grief for that. You know that, don't you?
1: Mate, honestly, I nearly chinned one of my um, uh, managers when I worked on the radio, because he said, oh, I can really hear your Yorkshire accent coming through there. And I went, <laughs> you'll see in a minute when i lay one on you here. But uh, I... I remember the, the accents thing, you know. I'll take ownership of like Arctic Monkeys, even though I'm not from Sheffield or Yorkshire, because I'm like, well, they're ten minutes down road, so don't <laughs> worry about it. But well, my favourite, I remember years ago seeing, as a very British, this, the TV show called Bullseye here in the UK and uh, to play darts and answer questions uh, and one of the questions was about a tv show some of our older listeners may know it doesn't really matter if you know it or not regardless it was called well the person's name was spelled d a l z i e l if i'm not mistaken it was called D-Ellen pasco it was like this murder sort of police thing well it's yorkshire bloke we're on there and he got question about it and he was like what police drama did that and he went oh i know this I'm going To go with Dalziel and Pascoe, please. <laughs> I love it, I love the accent, but yeah, Rich here. He's gonna kick that's the most least
2: diversion we've ever had on one of these podcasts. Everything. Yeah,
1: Dalziel um, and
2: Pascoe. What's uh,
1: what's Aaliyah here to do? She's gonna make it bougie or something. And the handsome bastard to saying, When you look this handsome, winning ZZ or something, and then Seamus goes. Yeah, it's me again. <laughs> 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 I thought, you poor bastard, I thought you were going to have some time off. He's had about two weeks and he's just he's had his nose patched up and here he is. But he, he, to be fair, didn't tell a lie. He said he just here, he produces banger after banger after banger. And I thought, yeah, you're one of those underrated performers in WWE. Now go away so I can miss you.
2: Oh man, like shit, shit. It felt like a punchline. I was waiting for him to like appear not just there on screen, but being dragged in by a production assistant as uh, Angel Garza and the Carrillo being pushed off or something like that. <laughs> this is like when Jeff Hardy turned up with the twenty four seven Goobers that week. I found this so odd. Um, <laughs> but I yeah, bless him. Yeah, he's a uh, he was stood next to Dream McIntyre entire when Liverpool absolutely cuffed Man United yesterday. So, hey, it's yeah, an all right weekend. He's done all right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Right,
1: then we got the debut of Hero. Uh, Me and um, Pat McAfee should both never attempt to sing Hit Row ever again. (laughs) Uh, So out they come. They're doing the rap gimmick. I've not even attempted to write down what they've said because I'm not going to read it out or do it any justice. But they introduce themselves. They say this is the ritual, uh, spelled R-I-C-H, actually, because money, swerve raps. Ashanti, the the Adonis raps, Top Dollar talks about money, money, and B-Fab says she's B-Fabulous. That's what she is, that sort of thing. We know all about them. If you don't know now, you know. other, And then they murder some local jobbers, which was entertaining. Um, Top Dollar comes in after... uh, I think he attempts to pin one of them after Swerve's done a brief bit of work. Uh, And, yeah... (laughs) One of them breaks up the pinball and he goes, where do you think you're going? Picks one of them up. He basically gets like one on his shoulders and one in position to do a world's strongest slam. That's effectively what he does. He nails both of them uh, and picks whichever one, the legal one was up. Uh, and they hit that swerve kick and sidewalk slam from, um, uh, from top dollar here to get them a very straightforward victory uh, and an arrival for hit row on the main roster. What do you think?
2: Uh Effective, actually, Like I, I didn't love the match particularly because there wasn't that much to love, like a minute long, but you have to remember, um, you know, you have to apply the right context to this. NXT 2.0, or the prior version of it where Hit Row got over immediately, to be fair to them, and an act kind of out of nowhere in the old NXT didn't get launched in the way that they do now, where you just, just people just appear because we've willed them into existence on a podcast, seemingly. Um, Hit Row were one of those one week Swerve had mates, the next week there were this fully formed gang that he just not mentioned for all these years, you know, (laughs) and it was just fine. It was absolutely fine. Um, But not many people watch NXT compared to the amount of people that watch SmackDown. So you were kind of looking to do that again. And in that sense, I think this was really positive. I think this was really successful. You have to, you know, look at maybe the one and a half million people that maybe never seen Hit Row that saw them here and immediately accept them as a big deal. There wasn't a lot of flash to the match, but that's okay. Because Mm -hmm. this was that old school superstar style squash, wasn't it? You know who the big deals are. You know who the losers are. And you can probably do this for four or five weeks before you need to find a a programme for them as well. Yeah. So, like, not a lot of meat on the bone, but totally effective in terms of introducing them to, like, vast portion of the audience haven't seen them. Uh, Kayla Braxton's in the back, catching up with Sonia Deville
1: again, uh, who's checking on Postman Pierce, who's a death door, basically, after Brock Lesnar attacked him. And she went, oh I said I could have handled that, but no, he had to go out and do it. And she's had a nose put out joint basically. And she's gonna have to take control of the championship exchange coming later on in the evening. I already know from Hamlet's face. I'm just
2: is feeling be... stressed thinking about it, Wilbur. Honestly, I'm feeling stressed thinking about it. Can we what? can we get to our big main event of SmackDown,
1: please? Before that, we have to get something that I'm fairly certain has come from the rapidly de- declining mind of Vince McMahon, because he's forgotten the fact
2: that these two fought for about six months earlier this year. That, that's Shinsuke what I mean. Na- that, that, that was what I was referring to as our main event. How could it... It's the, it's the grand payoff to this, like, half-a-year feud. Shinsuke
1: Nakamura against Happy Corbin in one of those... It's like they've just discovered the championship contender matches. It's just a reason <laughs> to say, oh, well... You know, it doesn't automatically guarantee you a title shot, but it's a reason to throw you this crap out on telly. I thought I've seen these two fight for months earlier on this year, <laughs> and yet back here we are. Uh, but this time, Corbin's thankful to to Shinsuke because it's made him who he is. Uh, but there was uh, well, a highlight of this, and it was Mad Cat Moss, of course, uh, and he said, what do you call it when you uh, you get one of those drinks and it says it's not got pulp in it, but it's got clearly got pulp in it. when you drink it, you can taste the pulp, and you think there should be pulp in this there's no pulp on the back. Of it. a pulp fiction I love that. Uh, couldn't care less about the match, though. yeah, I've seen them fight so often. Yes, Gorbin gains control, drops Nakamura on the apron or off the apron onto the floor, I should say. Uh, he sets up for the Kinshasa later on, uh, but Corbin fight, uh, fights back and nails him and hits him with uh, deep six or something off the back of that. Boogs plays his guitar and that fires Nakamura back up. It looks like Nakamura is about to win. He's setting up again for the Kinshasa, uh, but Madcap Moss comes around and grabs Boogs' guitar. They get into it. Nakamura attacks uh, Madcap Moss and then Corbin jumps Nakamura, throws him back into the ring. It's the end of days.
2: One, two, three. This is boring and stupid and rubbish, and I'll talk about why in a minute. But it just occurred to me as you were delivering your latest Madcap Moss missive that Madcap, the Venn diagram of Madcap Moss and Wacky Wilborn is a flat circle. <laughs> like, you ripping the piss out of like very, very, very cheesy funny voice comedy. Smash Cat Moss's actual gimmick. <laughs> one and the same. Um, we'd have no problem with this, of course, if it was on 2.0. It's funny how that's established such an in-universe set of rules that he would fit just fine oh, there.
1: Yeah,
2: he'd be positioned, wouldn't he, in front of one of those um mid 90s New York brick wall stand-up clubs. <laughs> and you hear like the laughter of an audience that you can't see, and then after six weeks, the reveal would be that just one person in the crowd, and it's Baron Corbin. Yes. yes loving all the gags that would be how Mad Cat moss would completely work on 2.0 but not here um so this was a really boring very very WWE style match Um, the type of night where and i don't know you've been of this ilk before so i'm not being critical of you here but this is those nights where you remember why just because one week out of 52 nakamura looks like he is wants to get the big push and win the rumbling go to wrestlemania the other 51 weeks, he's kind of just there to surf and that's fine. Yes, because, exactly. Like, nothing happened for so many, so much of this match, so little happened in the, the body of it. Baron Corbin, that's his, that's his entire CV. Um, That's, that's, that's why his LinkedIn reads. Like, I'll give you 10 drab minutes for 10 years. Unless he's you're facing in, Chad Gable. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Like, if you want me to win the King of the Ring, I'll fool everybody and then I'll stop as soon as I get the plaudits. Because that, that isn't heat. Um... So that was a lot of this match. And when it wasn't this match, it, it was genuinely what's your thing versus what's your thing? Gags versus guitars. It's like, who's got, who's got the better way to distract somebody with their prop? In Madcap Moss's case, it's his stupid mouth. In Rick Booth's case, it's guitar. And on this occasion, Moss won out. That's what happened here. Yeah, there's going to be guitar-based jokes
1: coming your way. Maybe that, we'll do that on the preview this week. Mm-hmm. I'll try and guess what Madcap Moss's joke's going to be. We'll
2: we are veering ever closer into SmackDown's preview becoming like, right, how many games we got this week? <laughs> I mean, that
1: is the NXT, two, but oh, preview. But there we two.
2: go.
1: <laughs> uh, right, we're almost at the Championship Ex- Exchange. Just before that, Charlotte Flair in a little vignette says, oh, Becky Lynch can hand over the title really easily. Just pretend it's those bags of mine that you used to carry for years. Oh, anyway, I can't believe they're doing this. But yes, here we are. Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, they come out. Uh, Cole and McAfee are saying, oh, maybe they won't exchange the belts. And Sonia Deville has to do all the bollocks of the admin of saying, right, well, we you know why we're here. You're on Raw, but you've got the SmackDown belt and you're on SmackDown, but you've got the Raw belt. So you hand it over sort of thing. The crowd want anything other than two people to just hand a belt to each other. <laughs>
2: there's,
1: a, there's a Becky two belts chant. She's meant to be a heel, but no one really cares. They're both heels. So it's this weird thing. I assume the only way I can relate this to you, Hamlet, is like if you tell your boys to like give the other one the toy that they're playing with. Because there's this this like strategy from Lynch where she wants that visual of holding both belts. So she like puts her belt out there and then pulls it away and tries to snatch Charlotte's belt. And then Charlotte drops the the belt to the floor and basically says, Oh, pick that up for me sort of thing. And then Deville says, no, no, no. Come on, Charlotte, be fair. You'll go on the naughty step. If you don't do this, she picks the belt back up and Lynch then just throws her belt at flair and takes the raw title. And, uh, Flair gets on the mic and just, it's just a usual prickly self winding, winding Lynch up, mocking her, saying, Oh, you know what? You know, why don't we, Becky Twobots? Why don't we have a, a winner takes all match right now. And I thought, Oh my God. Yes. And then I looked at the clock and went, Oh, there's no chance that's happening. Instead, Sasha Banks, music hit. She comes out. Uh, she says, I want to make one thing clear. I run the blue brand. And if you Charlotte want to take over them, bitch, you're out of your goddamn mind. And Lynch says, well, I think that's my cue. I'm off to raw. I'll see whoever's got that belt at survivor series sort of thing. And then Charlotte mocks Banks and says, oh, you know, does anyone even remember when you had these tit- this title? You know, you've got crap title reigns, effectively reminding us of the history, which is, you know, a decent story. History between these two, between Charlotte Flair and Sasha Banks. A big brawl breaks out, because of course it does. Banks hits the Meteora off the apron and Sonia breaks them up and they stare at each other as the show goes off the air. <sighs> Championship exchange carnage, Michael Hampler.
2: I have a lot of thoughts, so I apologise if this is going to be all over the map. Let's first, shall we, do, before we get to the the meat of all this, which is probably like what everybody has been speculating on over the weekend, and the various news stories that are broken, and let's be honest, the interesting element of all of this, the takeaway. Let's get to imagining a world where we got the perfect version of this segment, right? Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair, long-time legacy rivals that don't trust each other, in any scenario, including this one. So don't trust each other that can't be posi- like they don't want to look weak in front of one another because we know all about their characters. We know all about this feud. They always feel like they're one a, and it, it, nobody wants to give an inch. This is just who these people are. You know, it's this, it's this competitive fire, born mm. that drives them to have been at this level in the first place to be the champions. It's still the worst segment of the year because they're swapping belts. <laughs> like, at least you had a bit of patter when it was Street Profits and New Day. They looked upon that, Street Profits and New Day, as if they were having the piss taken out of them by their job, by their employers, right? It's the worst segment of the year because they are swapping those belts. I I tweeted this, like, I'm, I'm gonna have to regurgitate a stuff. I was so angry when I watched this. So it all just came out. It all just flooded out onto the internet, which unfortunately that's what Twitter exists for, a vomit repository that it is. And I am just contributing like everybody else. Um, the perfect version of this segment is still the worst segment of the year because they're swapping belts, right? Yeah. Those belts are not props. Well, they are. We know they are. Like I'm trying to imagine wrestling in the perfect world. Here we go. I'm going to invoke it and nobody wants me to. It doesn't happen in AEW, right? Because those prizes are the reason every single person gets out of bed and goes to work as a pro wrestler every day. We are talking... Well, that... well, well, not Malachi Black, but anyway. <laughs> well, if you stop and think about how ridiculous a gaudy, glittery belt is for a split second, we talked about this before, all the wrestling sort of falls apart, doesn't it? It's like, why do well, you imagine that? if Imagine if, to use another sport...
1: Remember that year where uh, Liverpool won the Champions League and City won the title, and they everyone yeah, yeah. sort of went, they'd rather have the other thing there, wouldn't they? Like, and it's I mean, no offence, you always want to win big titles and stuff, but yeah. City hadn't won the Champions League, still haven't, and Liverpool hadn't won the Premier League in many a year. But if they'd have gone, I right, swap over, swap the thing, swap the trophies, bollocks!
2: You, you then take the trophy, and it could be a trophy, it could be a belt, it could be a medal, you strip it of the achievement, which is the point. The achievement is the point. The belt is the visual representation of the achievement. Yeah. And you strip the achievement away, and it just becomes a prop. Now, we know the props in WWE, but we always have to pretend that they're not and that everything can be fine and you can reset things. So you've just swapped props because this is the same colour that matches the ropes. So no longer have Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair achieved the belts they are wearing. They have just swapped them. This was the problem, New Day Street Profits. And I feel like we hammered and thrashed that out this year, but yeah. I want to do it again because I just want... The point I was trying to make on Twitter was that for all the divisiveness in wrestling fandom these days, one of the things, and I often worry that it's age and that like so much of wrestling might not be for me, a 36-year-old tired white dad. So it's like, I've got to try and watch this like outside of myself and be like, you know, what, mm. I didn't get that, but like a lot of people will. And it's, it's important to try and understand why people like things. Like the I'm Cypher, thinking, for example. Yeah. but, but like Cypher, like, yeah. I'm starting to think that about all of WWE. I'm starting to think like, what is it that I don't get that people don't like? It's because there will be loads and loads of people that saw this and thought, well, yeah, this makes perfect sense because that belt's red and that belt's blue. And it's because all I've ever known is belts that are valueless. And it's like, right. So if that's genuinely how a sizable portion of the fan base feels, there is a bigger divide between me and that fan because we will never, ever be able to argue each other's case. I will never, ever bend on this, right? I'll be a single issue campaigner on something like this, but they would simply reflect. Well, I don't see a problem, and it's like right. Well, we can never, we'll never find a middle over this ever because we have watched and absorbed completely different versions of how this is supposed to work. Mm. So that, so again, to go back to my first point, the perfect version of this segment is the drizzling, shit, right, from where I sit. But obviously, a load of people don't care; they just see this as colours. So we'll just try and pretend that both these two things are fine, even though mine version is and the other version is hell right? We'll just pretend that both these things are fine. Now, let's get on to the execution of this segment. Over the weekend, because we have to talk about the news that relates to this, don't we? Mm -hmm. We have to talk about the fact that whatever was supposed to go on here didn't go on as planned and that Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair found themselves at various different levels having to go into business for themselves. Charlotte Flair, in particular, drawing the ire of Becky Lynch, which is very visible when you watch it, drawing the ire, apparently, of Becky Lynch backstage, where there was heated words exchanges. And then since news has broken that various sources from the women's locker room have said that this is in keeping with the heat that Charlotte Flair currently has around herself, Mm -hmm. that she deemed as being selfish. And Becky Lynch was praised by these same, you know, like unnamed women for going out there and like not rising to it. I guess she's seen as this great figure in the locker room and Charlotte Flair isn't, this is all very reminiscent of a time that seems long ago when wrestlers actually used to fight for themselves because I understand that now the narrative is gonna shift to Charlotte Flair is this, or Charlotte Flair is that. If I'm Charlotte Flair, I'm not tolerating that, right? If you're gonna present me as the queen, if you're gonna present me as the best of the best, and Becky Lynch the same, the man, like big time Becks, all this sort of stuff, and you are given this utter, utter tripe, this Mm -hmm. nonsense, this snake oil to try and go and sell people, I'd wanna hijack it too, I'd wanna question it too. There was a time in the gray past where you would hear a story about Shawn Michaels or somebody politicking backstage, and the debate online would be, I don't think he should be fighting that. I think that's politically nasty. I think that's unfair. He's burying him, whatever. Or the fans would be thinking, no, that's like, he was right to fight for that. He was right to sort of stand up for his character, basically. Mm, Yeah. Anybody that fights for their character in WWE on any issue is right, because the creative is putrid, (laughs) right? I don't care what your fighting for what your complaint is i'm backing you you're right because this company has proven over and over again that it cannot be trusted with people's livelihoods do you remember during retribution i would have a big old laugh and then we'd have to take a pause and be like hang on these are people's jobs and they might never recover from this (laughs) you know like what what does that mean i'm not gonna find it's tiger king isn't it i might not financially recover from this yeah dominic dijakovic probably wakes up and says that to himself every day because of what happened in retribution like these people are in charge of these guys and girls lives, livelihoods And I send them out to do this, something that could have a direct impact on their livelihood because they look like complete chumps. So I'm not putting any of this on Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch because yes, wrestling is a a mutual trust thing and you need to trust the person out there, not just for a segment, but if she's going to do that in a segment, what's she going to do when my body's on the line? That Mm. sort of thing. I understand all of that, but I would just be sick to death of being sent out there to perform this nonsense, this utter nonsense. Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair's born into the business. Becky Lynch came off the Indies. They understand this prize versus prop mentality. They know what this is doing as a reflection of their characters. So I don't blame either of them for not giving an inch at the point at which Charlotte is not giving over that title. I'm not holding that against her because she's probably thinking, how am I going to escape this with any credibility? And then similarly, Becky Lynch throwing that belt there or trying to reach across and just be Becky two belts for five seconds. I'm not holding that against her, because she's thinking, I look like an idiot. I look like a fool. This company is making us both look like complete fools. Mm-hmm. Sonia Deville, man, you talk about me trying to separate the kids. Christ have, like it lasted a thousand years in that moment for me as a dad, having to constantly separate fighting children. When Sonia Deville turned to Charlotte Flair, and you could like, she wasn't on mic, but you could lip read, you know when Charlotte dropped the belt and Sonia turned to her and said, I'm trying to run a belt exchange. Right? <laughs> And me, that's one for those that know. Um, like when Charlotte nearly didn't pick up the belt and Sonia Deville was in that moment of pick the belt up, like time stood still for me mm. because you have to pick your battles. And what if Charlotte didn't pick it up? Like what would have happened if she didn't pick it up? Does Sonia Deville go and do it? And then she's thinking, hang on, I can't be a Trump either. There are three people in that ring that cannot possibly sacrifice their credibility because the stupid old men backstage sent them out there to die. This was a shameful, shameful night for the women's revolution. Remember that because that's gonna be existing in inverted commas forever because that is dead. The uh, say what you will about AEW's women's division, but they're about to run a tournament at basically the best possible time (laughs) following the back of the Queen's crown thing. This like laudable exhibition. And just to finally, and again, I apologize for anybody that follows me on Twitter because I feel like I'm repeating it. Just to repeat one last thing. We were itching for Serena Deeb to return, weren't we, from injury. Every day she was off, it was like, my God, I hope she's better soon. I miss her. I want her back in the mix. Critical of the AW women's division that we are every single week. Yeah, We looked at that mix and we thought, I want to put Serena Deeb back in it. It's good enough that I want to see what she can do in that division. I watched this thinking, whenever your comeback date is Bailey, take another month. (laughs) I don't want you anywhere near this. This is toxic. literally toxic, it's a sewer, it's a fucking sewer. A belt exchange is an unacceptable segment. This particular version of it is probably as bad as it could have got. I genuinely worry that people think I'm overstating my case here. The worst segment of the year. An all-timer for me, personally, worst ever. And honestly, if you don't think of it that way, then... Frankly, if you don't see it that way, then I think there needs to be some sort of... um, I'm trying to think of like a, a Jericho synonym a synonym for this but mm. like uh like a dinner debonair of the fans that think this is okay versus the fans that think this is wholly unacceptable because we you need to find a way to meet in the middle you are watching two different wrestling shows if you think this is fine
1: i uh thankfully wasn't on social media over the weekend uh i had some friends up and their kids kept me more than busy to tell you what kids are a handful uh newsflash <laughs> but uh I, uh, yeah, I, I go on. I watched both shows. I watched this and, and Rampage and Dynamite, actually, uh, on, on Sunday night. And, uh, yeah, subsequently, I see this morning, as I'm catching up, Brian Alvarez. I love Brian Alvarez. But I'm having to fight with people who genuinely thought a decent counterbalance or counter to people going, why the f- are they doing a bloody belt exchange, is, come on, we had to do this because, you know, Becky... Has got the wrong belt and she's here now, and Charlotte's got the wrong belt and she's here now. So work. And (laughs) even if it isn't, even if they if even if for some reason it's a complete roulette and a complete, you know, random draw, and they go, Oh, okay. Now we've put the wrong people on the wrong shows. You had two title matches in the last seven days to correct this problem, and you didn't do it. So you're an idiot. And you've tried to sell this show on the intrigue of two people swapping belts in the main event. You deserve everything you get from this WWE.
2: And, you know, could we have showered that opening half an hour in any more praise? Yeah. But if you're ever if you're ever tasked with sort of... Um, do you remember the post-Crown Jewel Smackdown? Oh, uh, give us a reminder. Give us a reminder. Oh, it was the belt exchange episode. Oh, I want the worst ever then. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's, that's the likelihood of where people go versus... Like, if anything, what it'll be is... That was the same show as the Roman Brock stuff. Mm. You kidding. You? Same night. Same night. WWE's schizophrenia at its absolute worst.
1: Well, let us know your thoughts on SmackDown on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet
2: at... Michael Hamflit.
1: Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Got a whole host coming your way later on today. Reviews of Rampage, Dynamite, and looking ahead to Money in a Row later on today. But for now, this has been the SmackDown review. My thanks to Michael Hampler. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon.